Hello and welcome to episode 85 of For Christ's Sake Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you on this August 18th, 2021. Sorry about the one-day delay, just uh, had a few things on the go yesterday. But getting this episode in because, of course, the Bad Batch finale was this past Friday morning, and I saw it, and I spent some time to think about it, and here I am uh, talking about it. I got some input from other folks, which I'll, I'll mention later on in the show. Uh, in lieu of a pull list, I am going to go back to some more news drops. Um, one of them does involve a comic book, and that is, uh, what is it called? Crimson Rain. And that just dropped, I think that just dropped maybe about an hour, an hour and a half ago. So we got some breaking news here on For Christ's Sake, Anakin. Uh, that's a first. <laughs> um, Crimson Rain by Charles Soule and the, uh, the, the uh, cover... I forget who drew the cover, but uh, one of probably one of his longtime collaborators, art collaborators. It has Darth Sidious Palpatine, and then it has Vader, and then just below them is none other than Kira herself, hinting, of course, at where this War of the Bounty Hunters storyline is going to end up with her in the Sith on employ employ, um, hinting, of course, is why the, the little blurb why uh charles soul where, where he was thought this was going why she did this whole auction in the first place i wonder we're going to find out a little more especially towards the end of the war of the bounty hunters the main arc number five that drops in october that's from a quote from charles soul it sheds new light also on where we are as I mentioned last week in the storytelling in that everything's leading up to her confrontation with Vader or Vader crashing the party uh, reveals maybe why she wanted this party in the first place <laughs> and uh, two thoughts there first of all I'm, I'm delightly delightfully surprised that anybody is is being Lucasfilm is letting anybody write this story, continue on with Kira's story. Um, it, it just a fantastic character, but it seemed like the type of thing they would have wanted to held and hold in reserve, but I guess not. I guess they're going for it with the story that Sewell must have pitched and, and really uh, wanted to go forward on and convince them as he can. I mean, he seems to be very much one of the, if I can use this term, power players within Lucasfilm storytelling, at least very much in charge on the the writing and the the, uh, the novels and the comics. Uh, of course, part of the High Republic group. He's earned his way. I'd, I wouldn't say necessarily yet in charge or a power player, but uh, he and Kevin Scott seem to be having the most output <laughs> in different eras of Star Wars storytelling. So that, that's a bit of an aside, but just delighted that they're going for it. The second thought is, uh, the, well, the second reason I'm delighted is, uh, as I mentioned before, Kira is my favorite character in, in Solo, A Star Wars Story. And the biggest travesty of them not picking up on that era, the, the spinoffs from that film, is that we don't get more of, didn't get more of Kira's story. Didn't get anything of her time with Maul on Dathomir. And, you know, who knows? I mean, clearly uh, there is going to be a Sith dark side connection that I had suspected, I think a lot of us had suspected, the moment we see Maul grabbing that lightsaber and igniting it in Solo. 
at the end of Solo there, that she would have this dark side Sith connection that uh, is clearly going to be explored in this uh, Crimson Reign. That's, of course, a take on Crimson Dawn, but um, whose reign is it? The Sith's reign and the Emperor's reign. and um, Definitely very intriguing to go into, the thing I wanted it to go into. So that's uh, this hot breaking news. Another bit of breaking news, not breaking news, but uh, relatively recent. Um, so I, I did talk about comics with the pull list. Here's a, another bit of an aside, a bit of a twist. Um, the, the Visions trailer that dropped, I believe, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, and it took me all day to get to it because, again, I had other things on the go. But I ended up watching it both the Japanese version with English subtitles and then the English dubbed version. I got to say the Japanese version is so much richer. Um, there's something about watching anime in Japanese that really heightens for us English speakers who don't speak Japanese and don't understand, heightens the mystery and the mystique of what they're going for with this Star Wars Visions uh, miniseries. I think it's a series of shorts that's dropping September 22nd. And just the, the things they're going to explore, they're going to go out there and Star Wars at its best is when it, ex it's at its best when it explores possibilities and themes and storylines that might not, you know, have come up, uh, you know, in the run of the mill understanding of what the Skywalker saga is, what Luke's Luke Skywalker's story is. My favorite Star Wars are the ones where, frankly, the furthest departure from the original trilogy, even as, uh, you know, the original trilogy itself was a departure from, uh, from what had come before, but very much, of course, indebted to it as well. So you have The Last Jedi, you have the prequel trilogy, which was a departure, right? Um, we talked about how George Lucas invented it, invented something new, and then did it all over again a couple decades later, and uh, Ryan Johnson and Dave Filoni carrying that torch. Well, kick it over across the Pacific to Japan and let them run with it, tie in the influences that George Lucas had with Japanese cinema, but the whole tradition of anime. Uh, I, I'm and, and the I mean the way it's going to explore Jedi stories, the way it's going to explore. Boba Fett as a rock opera, all these things. You, you you can go to other podcasts to go in deeper. I'm just, I was really excited by, by this trailer. And I, I gotta say, I do love the cast. Um, I think Neil Patrick Harris is in it. And Alison Brie, the English dub cast, I should say. Mark the Cannon Legend Thompson is finally getting a role uh, on screen in Star Wars. I believe this is his first role. I could be wrong. But, uh, Again, I'm going to definitely watch the Japanese with subtitles. I know not everybody's used to that. But uh, it, to me, it just, it really transports me elsewhere. And I, I'm, I gather for those who speak Japanese, <laughs> that isn't necessarily the case. This is just how anime is and how their, their normal speaking language is, even with the different art style and the different uh, art styles, I should say, and different ways of drawing movement and... Um, exploring the visual different visual languages uh, yeah it, it probably does feel more familiar to them which is great because uh, we we need more I mean, it's, it's part of this expanded representation and expanded uh, diverse tapestry 
that you know Star Wars has been so such an an Anglo-American product, and now it's there's this part of it that's going to be truly Japanese. It's one of the things I don't care about the canon question with this. I'm already suspending that because I just want them to explore new stories, new possibilities. I think the Ronin novel that is coming out as part of this marketing, I'm going to dive into that as well. And uh, see, I mean, obviously I'll be curious to see what connects and what doesn't. And I'll be aware of that, but it's not going to be the same kind of preoccupation that I have with with the Bad Batch, <laughs> for example, and with, with other stories. So excited for that. I was really blown away by that trailer and by the this... Uh, crimson rain news it is new comic book day today so we'll see if there are any more tidbits about crimson rain or about uh or the bounty hunters I, i'm not entirely sure what comes out today but um excited for that saturday was free comic book day and uh there were two high republic books that came out i haven't actually gotten to them yet because uh, i was reading the high republic books that came out last wednesday and yeah, but, um, well, those, I mean, those, of course, keep continuing Keith Trennis' story and uh, uh, the monster of Temple Peak beginning Tyork's story <laughs> that, of course, all converges on Balo. So, lots to talk about. Maybe I'll be able to get into those in the next two few weeks. We'll see. But uh, for now, let's transition into our main topic. So, the Bad Batch finale, episode 16, uh, Escape from Camino, I believe it's called. It's been a a bit since I checked. (laughs) Um, And uh, I'll start right off the bat saying I had two different reactions to watching this episode. I watched it twice, as I've watched most episodes twice. And uh, I think fairly common, two different reactions to this season as a whole. The first one is admittedly a little bit of a letdown. Um, I've raised in the past this question of again how does this connect not just connect but how does this impact the wider star wars storytelling that the type of thing i am looking for for better or for worse in a new series a new show does it feel significantly large enough or do i care about and connect with the characters sufficiently enough in order to really follow the story and, and, and grasp what uh, the, the authors are telling us and, and uh, really be more engaged, at least on the first go around. It is a very subjective thing, but um, something that, you know, I mean, something that Rebels, for example, I bring that up, I brought that up a lot in the last few days It's you know, on different forums. Uh, Rebels did a really great job of introducing us to new characters while also having us feel that it was a larger story that these characters were involved in. Bad Batch, to the end of the season, struggled with, at least I struggled with this feeling that these were just these random new characters that we're supposed to care about that happened to show up in these big momentous events that we've heard about and speculated on, including, I mean, Order 66 and the birth of the rebel alliance and of course this question of how did the clone army transition into a stormtrooper army and they're definitely exploring that uh it it feels it felt kind of random and and you know like again we're supposed to care about these characters so we're just expected to come to them 
And especially, I think, because characters like Tech and Omega, or not Omega, Tech and, uh, and Echo, of all people, did not have very much to do character-wise. Especially in the you know later few episodes, uh, it, it that kind of fell flat a little bit. Hunter and uh, Cro- and not Crosshair, Hunter and, and Wrecker, they were a bit more fleshed out, and I appreciate that. But it still felt like the Bad Batch as a whole was not the lens we need to be, not not a lens that we can watch the show through, peer into the world through. Uh, Omega, I think, is supposed to be that a little bit, because Ezra was that quite a bit, and uh, of course Ahsoka was. And I bring that up because uh, you know, all both of those season ones of Rebels and Clone Wars were a bit of a growing experience for us as watchers and for fans, from what I can tell from those who watched it when it aired, um, and things did end up connecting better. <laughs> later on and so i'm not saying there's anything about filler here i'm hesitate to use that word i think i've gone back and and said it's not that uh things don't matter in the long run it's it it was just it it felt like why not why why give us new characters in that sense why not actually give us more familiar characters and see how this continues Make it more like Clone Wars Season 8. So with the finale. I was expecting it. That last episode. To be about more. You know we have the destruction of Camino. Uh, we have. Uh, you know, we have at the end. This thing about the cloning. We don't know. With, with uh, I guess now let's say. But this last episode especially. It's just them escaping. It's just an action set piece. The episode before, that was big. That was the destruction of Camino, and we're meant to see it again through Omega's eyes and through Wrecker's eyes and uh, Hunter's eyes. But again, it doesn't. It didn't quite land the same way as it might have. Say, for example, seeing Order sixty six through Rex's eyes, literally the tears in his eyes when we say that. Like that. That was really a lot more compelling. So. That was my first reaction on my first go around saying, uh, nothing too big and important seems to happen except for these characters that I only somewhat am invested in. I'm sorry to say, um, they escape and they got off Camino and their home is destroyed. <laughs> right. I get that. But yeah, it, it just, I, I, I have Kyle Gold's question in mind, Kyle Gold from, uh, I mean, connected to what the force. I mean, he's his his wife Mary Claire is the one who's involved in that. Anyway, his question is, what's the purpose of this show, and why are they telling us this show now and this story now? I'm still left a little bit with that question, just because, uh, you know, uh, I I don't know how it really. I can see how it can fit with the water storytelling, but I don't feel that these characters are sufficiently earned in the wider storytelling. That's, that's my question. That's my concern. And I was looking for that last episode to, to bring something up. Maybe, maybe more of a secret about Omega and more understanding about who she is and what 
her designs are, or, or well, not her designs, but um, you know what her deal is, because that's the question that's being been asked, been asking throughout this whole season is, is she force sensitive? Is she how what what's what's the end game there with her? Because her name is Omega, you know. So that was part of my first experience with watching this episode. I should say, I should be fair, it was a thrilling escape episode. And um, part of my helping me appreciate this episode better was I, I chimed into this guy walking through Neverland. Folks, they have a, a, a Zoom call where fans can just uh, chime in and give their thoughts. And I went in, you know, having a sense of what I might say, but also it was interesting to hear some other perspectives. And someone raised the parallel with the Clone Wars, those last two episodes of season seven, where the second last episode is the order 66 episodes, the big thing that happens. And, uh, we see, yeah, like we said, we see the emotional impact You see them dealing with order 66, specifically Rex and Ahsoka again, through Rex's eyes, he's crying. Similarly with the bad batch last episode, ultimately, at least at the end, we see the destruction of Camino and how at the end of season seven of Clone Wars, that's, Rex and Ahsoka in their great escape, their thrilling escape, seeing how they have, they deal with it, uh, the implications of it by, of course, escaping. Um, just like this episode is a, you know, of the Bad Batch was a thrilling, exciting escape from Camino with Crosshair, which I, I should admit is also an interesting, intriguing uh, plot point that I understand. I, I appreciate that they didn't, just give him the easy out that there was this detente, um, maybe similar to, uh, to Callus and, um, uh, Zeb uh, in rebels, right? How they, they're again, they're stranded. They need to work together to escape. And so they have this detente, uh, that might play into crosshair, uh, actually turning back to his brother's, or and sister, <laughs> or uh, it reveals that he actually has genuinely chosen the empire, genuinely chosen their control. Uh, interesting note by Tech, you know, saying that that's just his nature; you can't change. So, as uh, expected, yeah, my second experience was more positive, and part of that was when I watched it a second time. Part of it was because I knew not to look for bigger galaxy shattering events happening. I knew I can just stop and relax and focus on the characters, which is probably a good habit to have, but not so much one I'd have in a season finale. But when you do that, it definitely brings things out. And that, yeah, that question about is someone's nature immutable or can they change? Can they adapt and grow? Can a clone who we see their birthing pods, we see where these special clones were actually genetically modified, can they change? Can they grow? Can they learn? And I mean, hopefully the answer is yes, because you know, we see with the regs how they start out as petri dishes and they end up with, we get characters like Rex. Like, uh, like, I mean, a little bit like Wrecker, but, and also Echo and, um, all these characters, especially, you know, Tup, 
Michael Cutlequain, sorry, not Top Cutlequain, who uh, can definitely evolve and grow and move on. We see Hauser, who who knows what's going on with him and Order 66. And is his chip just not functioning? Or is he able to choose out of blindly following the Empire? Maybe that has to do with not being any Jedi around. I don't know. What uh, the, you know, the, the Skywalking Through Neverland Zoom call really, someone really brought up was how a lot of this episode takes place underwater, under Camino, going through pipes. And that brought up two things. First of all, the person mentioned how in a lot of mythologies, a lot of worldviews, that symbolism of going underwater is a symbolism of birth and rebirth, like placenta, like gestation, <laughs> like, here we go, like baptism. It also, thought I'm gonna, I'll pick up on that in a minute. But it also brought up, made me think of uh, the episode a few weeks ago where they go under the, the train cars and they're part of, joining part of the underworld. I should add that I find I'm more intrigued by the underworld plotline. This is a bit of an aside. More intrigued by the, their growing involvement in the underworld and how that might that will push their, their, their sense of morality and um, sense of duty to some lawmaking authority or not. Uh, as if you go back to the, my uh, Clone Force 99 episode that I was on, mentioned that that is part of the hero's journey and Sid as the, the threshold guardian leading them through that. Uh, I'm, I'm more intrigued by that. We might have seen something of that here in this episode and here's what i mean is um, we've seen a few baptisms in star wars so far really people going underwater and coming up and the two we've seen specifically are with luke and with ray and with luke i'm channeling nettie okorafor's entry into from a certain point of view where she um, she tells the picked the story or got the story of uh, the Dianoga and the trash compactor and how for Luke, I mean, when we're watching the, that scene in, in a new hope, 1977 star Wars, whatever, that's just a scary, exciting, thrilling moment is Luke in danger. He is being sucked underwater by this weird, crazy monster. And, uh, Nettie Okorafor all, you know, channeling, I think channeling, uh, the Christian tradition of baptism. It's called, the story is called the Baptist. Also channeling uh, Kiswahili traditions, I believe. I know she does tap into a lot of uh, traditions from Nigeria and from from Eastern Africa. Uh, but the idea that you know this is a baptism and a rebirth, specifically because it is the moment at least according to her imagination, the moment where Luke lets go of his life on Tatooine, says, uh, you know, Owen and Beru are gone, are, are dead. Um, that simple farm li farm boy life that I'm always trying to escape, but really was still clung to me. Uh, I really am now truly thrust into this larger world 
into this rebellion, into finding, learning the ways of the Force and becoming a Jedi like his father. Really, that is this real moment of transition. That, again, he has to leave behind where he's come from. Uh, the way he's being taught to see the world and the, you know, the allegiances and loyalties that would pull him down, I want to say earthward, but Tatooine word, and pull him, that would really pull him inside, being very parochial or provincial and uh, not reach, stepping up and reaching out and serving the wider galaxy and making it a better place. The similar thing, if you go back to my Last Jedi in Theology episode from way back <laughs> when, when that film first came out, we see Rey going into the water cave. And for her, into the cave, and it's a dark side cave. It's the cave of, uh, you know, for both Luke and Rey, Luke on Dagobah, well, and Luke on the Death Star too. And with Rey, you know, it's the cave of, of death and uh, of loss and of things coming apart specifically for her of course it's the very strong tug back to Jakku back to this belonging that she constantly was seeking with her parents um, the the three braided hair the, those clothes um, everything you know, that she thought made her who she was and was, again, keeping her stuck on Tatooine, not out exploring her destiny. And instead, you know, she emerges, just like how Luke emerges and finds the rebellion, finds the destiny to reform, restore the Jedi Order, finds his destiny to return Anakin Skywalker, his father. Rey raises up and, of course, finds another Skywalker, finds Leia, and the resistance, and uh, you know, finds her destiny in similar to Luke, pushing, pushing back the first order. I I think we can read Ben Demption there too as part of her destiny a little bit, not the same way, but you know, yeah, ultimately with the resistance, and as we might see in future storytelling, eventually recapturing, recovering who the Jedi could be going forward and uh, it, it all happens it all starts with this underwater cave so here we have omega especially and we of course we have the rest of the bad batch but i think specifically omega who is already better than all of us who is already more christ-like than all of us she loves her enemy as her brother when her and Crosshair are, are stuck in, in that room. It's flooding. She does everything she can to save Crosshair, and she, she succeeds. That might already be a first baptismal moment for her. She goes through, and we see, and we know, she the, the level of involvement she had with, with Camino. We know how she's now afraid of it because it was her home, where she was trapped and this complicated thing where she was trapped by in that lab and couldn't leave. And it's now a place of betrayal and 
a place of loss, but it was also her home. And, you know, just thinking about that now, you know, betrayal and loss can often feel like a home to a lot of people if that's all you constantly experience over and over, despite being so forgiving and so loving and so compassionate. You can still be held back by that if, uh, if, if that's really, you know, that's what you come to expect. Um, especially the fact that she isn't willing, so afraid to go back to Camino, even though she does, but she was so afraid to go back to Camino to, to rescue Hunter. Uh, again, so gung-ho about it. But now Camino is destroyed. At least uh, Tapioca City is destroyed. And all her work, all her investment, all her fear, similar to Ray, right? All her uh, attachment to a belonging that was pulling her down, in opposite to Luke, which is interesting. That's destroyed, and she has to pass through this water to uh, to come out the other side. I mean, the, the parallel there, for me, interestingly, I, that comes to mind, is that of, of Moses and the Israelites escaping Egypt. Because, again, that slavery was their home. <laughs> it's this hard, awkward thing to say. It's a tragic thing to think of. But there are some homes where we need to be delivered out of because they aren't homes. They're slavery. The destiny of the clones as a whole as an instrument of Darth Sidious' rise to power is something that they need to be delivered of. All the clones need to be delivered of Order 66. The Bad Batch and Omega and even Crosshair we see needs to be delivered of this identity and destiny as just the pawn in Darth Sidious' game and actually step out and uh, choose for themselves and choose the good. And this is this is another thing that's very fascinating about uh, about this um, you know, this past episode about uh, I mentioned this with Loki last week, right? He isn't so much isn't just that they're liberated for the sake of being liberated. They're liberated for the sake of choosing the good, of submitting to the good. And uh, again, I'm going to repeat what I said last week. It's it's interesting how we're no longer just satisfied with negative freedom in our storytelling right now. Um, it's never that we we aren't satisfied with just saying, "Oh, you always have a choice." It's we have to actually add this thing of you have a choice to to do good and to pursue the good. And now that now the tapioca city is destroyed now that they've passed through this water and through this tunnel they have this ultimate freedom to go out and about and uh, either connect with rex and the rebel alliance or go deeper into the underworld and try and scrape by and i think actually bring a little bit of light into that darkness as well that I don't know if that's where they're going, but again, I said I'd be more intrigued by that story because, in, probably in part, because we had 
a story of new characters joining the Rebel Alliance. We called it Star Wars Rebels. So, you know, if the Bad Batch can take that tack and pursue kind of the honor among thieves, because, again, the lawmakers themselves are no longer legitimate. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm not advocating that they show violent crime as a good thing, but um, there are people who, when, you know, one of the, again, a home people maybe need to be liberated from, but the reality that they face is if they're impoverished and if they're on the run, maybe bending the rules, maybe bending the laws in order to get by, in order to actually help people, in order to actually uh, pursue the good in the galaxy, you know, they need to to bend their little rules. I think the most extreme example of that is, say, Martin Luther King Jr., who nowadays people would brand him a criminal. He was, technically speaking, a criminal. <laughs> he was in jail. Of course, the closest parallel there is Princess Leia, who is also branded by the Empire as a criminal, is in jail. Um, and, and what I hope, what I wonder, I doubt, but you never know, is if the Bad Batch is going to explore people's visceral reactions to uh, you know, a state as an illegitimate lawmaking body. <laughs> you know, if it, especially if it's a tyrannical state deciding who's a criminal and who's not and challenging people's visceral reaction to that because people assume that because you're in jail, because you got caught, because you're getting, you're on the ground with police with a gun to your head, it means you've done something wrong. And if there's anything to be said about the last year, it's, that's almost highly unlikely <laughs> that's the case you know in, in the case of george brown his only his main crime was being black in america and uh, yeah i'm going there <laughs> yeah i went there i'm going there because this is the dark times this is the opportunity for star wars storytelling to really say in 2021 2022 i think we may be able to come there and say go there and say more explicitly, more clearly, who is the Empire in our real world? George Lucas very strongly implied it. <laughs> uh, he, he implied it even with the original trilogy, with the parallels to Viet Cong and uh, this great monolithic bureaucracy that is only concerned with military aggrandizement, imp empire building. He came out with it in the prequels, <laughs> I, I'd say, you know, that the Republic, the Empire, again, are the ways we, uh, you know, we uphold the state through violence and how that is morally illegitimate. And so it, here's the opportunity again with the Bad Batch to turn the tables on all that and to say uh we're gonna be in the underworld but there's an honor among thieves i think mandalorian a little bit is starting with that too i mean for them for for din Djarin, the new republic is a joke um they're not going to go there fully i think what we see with carson teva for example is 
those elements of the New Republic that actually do want to maintain peace in the Outer Rim and are going to take this First Order threat seriously. Uh, they're a little more serious, but they're a little more real. Um, but, you know, that's that's a different time in the story. The New Republic is really fairly ineffectual and not really concerned with the Outer Rim, whereas the Empire makes the governor of the Outer Rim a Grand Moff and tells him to build the Death Star and tasks him with Project War Mantle and all this stuff, that the, the Tarkin Initiative. I'm talking about Tarkin, by the way. <laughs> Who, I mean, I hope comes up more in this series too. I mean, I don't mind Admiral Rampart. He's a smart, smart character, smart actor. But yeah, Tarkin signifies... I'll say it, you know, American Imperial expansion. Um, that is in the news right now in terms of when we talk about Afghanistan. And now isn't quite the time to point fingers just yet. But, um, yeah, people could have seen this coming <laughs> 20 years ago. And they did. So that's where my thoughts with this Bad Batch or take us in terms of the larger themes, larger story, the potential is still there. We should all be like Omega. We should all be um, servants of the light the way she is, even if we don't know whether or not she's force sensitive. May we all be as free as she is now to pursue that light. So those are my thoughts on the Bad Batch finale. Lots more to come. Hopefully, uh, you know, things to talk about with Visions. Uh, the Kenobi series is done, uh, principal photography. So I'm expecting more things to say coming forward. 2022 looks like looks to be the year of Star Wars, the way 2021 was the year of Marvel. So lots, lots on the horizon. But for now, this has been episode 85 of for christ's sake anakin you can follow follow me on twitter at fcsa 99 or on instagram at fcsa 1999 and uh yeah let me know what you think let me know what you like let me know what you don't <laughs> either way all good but for now thanks for listening may the force be with you always <laughs>